0: I have truly loved every interview I've had the privilege of doing for Justice and the Inner Life. But there is something about this one today that I suspect will lodge deep in my soul as long as I live. You may have heard the story of Johnny Erickson Tata as I did as a kid. Johnny was a vibrant athletic teenager, but in 1967, diving into the Chesapeake Bay, she misjudged the depth and struck the bottom. At the age of 17, she was paralyzed from the neck down, permanently. That could have been the end of the story, maybe the death of her body or the crushing of her spirit. But instead, by God's grace, that loss and pain and severe constraint became the place of God's great work, both in Johnny and ultimately through her in the lives of countless others for more than five decades since her accident, through Johnny's books and paintings and music and ongoing advocacy for people with disabilities, and most of all, through a life of love and faithfulness amidst great limitation. Today, we have the privilege of hearing from Johnny about some of the small choices that she says have made all the difference for her. And I suspect that what she shares could make all the difference for us as well.
1: Welcome to Justice and the Inner Life, presented by the Christian Alliance for Orphans. Together, we'll explore what it takes to sustain a heart of justice and mercy over a lifetime. Here is your host, Jed Medefendt.
0: Well, we are here today with Johnny Erickson Tata. Johnny, welcome to Justice and the Inner Life.
1: Good to be with you, Jed. Thanks for having me on. And special greetings to all our listeners.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, as I was telling you when we were talking beforehand, um, 35 plus years ago, I remember hearing your story on the radio and you and, and, uh, and it, it planted seeds in my heart that I, I feel like are still growing to this day. So I, it's, it's a great privilege and joy for me to be with you here.
1: Well, it's an honor to be on, and I can't believe what was it, 30-some-odd, almost 40 years ago, uh, you first heard my story. You're making me feel old at the front of this podcast. Is that okay, Jed? I hope that doesn't <laughs> rattle anybody's nerves. You're talking to a, an old aging quadriplegic today, but... Um but I'm grateful to still have a voice and have a message to share.
0: And a smile on your lips and light in your eyes. Well, okay, so here here's the first question. Hopefully this 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 does this does have a point. But uh you know a, a few years ago a friend made an interesting observation uh, about comic book heroes and villains. And, you know, the stories of both superheroes and supervillains almost always start with a tragedy, but for in both cases, you know, losing parents or a terrible accident or being mocked and bullied. Um, and that's true for both the heroes and the villains. But what seems to make the villains villains is that they have made their tragedy the basis for bitterness and resentment and, and hurting others. And the heroes, on the other hand, they experience tragedy too, but somehow they choose to make Their tragedy, the motivation for serving and protecting others, and Johnny, that that really is what I see in your life. You know, you experienced a tragedy that many would see as crushing, but you, although you did struggle with depression and angers, you've shared in other places. You ultimately chose to receive that tragedy as something that God could use to do great work, both in you and through you. And, and the fruit of the past 50 years has been so beautiful through Johnny and friends and so much besides. I know in my life, my wife and I were talking before this podcast about how, how you had impacted her when she was growing up in the Philippines as an MK. Um, but but so much of it, I think, although it was ultimately undergirded by the grace of God, it was him working through choices that, that you also had to make. And and I'm curious if you feel like that was a once for all choice, was there a primary moment where you leaned away from bitterness and resentment in, and towards trust and hope, or, or was it, is it a decision that you've had to make every day of your life?
1: Well, um, I, I think that can be best answered with a quote from CJ Mahaney. Uh, he once said that the cross filled life is made up of cross filled days. And, uh, my first choice was just the first of thousands and thousands of choices that I have made over these 53 years living in this wheelchair. Um, I must say, though, that that first choice to say yes to God was made out of desperation. It was in the darkness of a hospital room. I was frightened. I was numb, yet tired of feeling so depressed. I wanted to die, but I couldn't, and I offered up a very brief prayer, and I remember it well. I said to God in the middle of the night, Jesus, if I can't die, then you're going to have to show me how to live, because I can't do this. Hmm. I don't know how to live as a quadriplegic. And honestly, Jed, I I pretty much wake up every single morning with that same prayer virtually on my lips. After 53 years, Jesus, I wake up saying, I can't do this. I am older. I have chronic pain. I've been through two bouts of cancer. I cannot do this. And if I'm not ready to go home yet, you're going to have to show me how to live today. And so those few short words and that brief prayer has become somewhat of a mantra over my life. I think Christians, myself, we make and remake choices to follow, to obey, to sacrifice for, and confess sin to jesus every single day and um, my life i think all of our listeners would agree our lives are made up of small drastic obediences mm. small drastic obediences tough times of trust hard earnest choices to rein in your passions and say no to self-serving comforts and self-centeredness and yes to believe in that suffering is his choices tool god's choices tool to mold us and shape us and transform us and change us. The Christian life is never easy. It's it's simple in some ways. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. But to trust and obey, that's pretty easy. I mean, it's simple, but boy, it's not easy. Because you got to do it every single day. <laughs> but um I think that's how uh, I've gotten this far. With a smile on my face. That is not made out of Colgate, but it is sincere and from the heart.
0: Mm. It strikes me that 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 prayer was was both a choice and, at the same time, it, it just an expression of of trust and hope. It was it was a turning of your heart, saying, "I want to live a certain way," but at the same time, it was saying, "Christ, I can't hold to you of my own strength. Please hold me."
1: Yeah, and Jed, I what I did not do it alone. Um, that prayer was motivated by um, the intercessions of. Many, many friends and family members who were interceding for me, mm. which is a good lesson to all of us on the importance of praying for others who are in pain or who are going through grief or loss or who feel wounded. The, the body of Christ is so intimately linked together, and these prayers that others offered up on my behalf didn't merely inspire me. They provided the, the channel through which God's grace flooded into my life. When people ask me to this day, what what changed your attitude from suicidal despair to one of buoyant hope and confident trust in Christ? And I always point to other people's prayers. Mm. Um, so prayer is so necessary because we wrestle not against the flesh and blood of spinal cord injury or clinical depression, but we wrestle against powers and principalities, dark powers in the heavenly realms that would love nothing more than to keep People like me, steeped in depression, uh, that would love nothing more than you know, shipwreck her faith, and you know, make her an object of of uh, shame to the angels and to God Himself. You know, here she's being embittered and cynical, vindictive. But it's prayer that changes that. So I thank God for the for the people that, that the Lord impressed upon to to just lift me up in prayer.
0: Mm. Good word. And encouragement to, to many who, have particularly in this era of forced quarantine for many, we can still pray just as much as ever.
1: And and I'm glad that we're uh, airing this uh, during the uh, time of COVID-19 because uh, we need encouragement. We need to be reminded of the basics and how important they really are.
0: Mm. What, what for you, have been some of the heaviest parts of that long journey?
1: Oh, I think when you use that word heaviest, I don't think of burdens of cancer or burdens of chronic pain or burdens of physical limitations. For me, the heaviest parts of the journey of, are usually times when I've been ashamed of myself. You know, I think mm-hmm. a broken heart is so much worse than a broken neck. <laughs> you know, times when I know that my thoughts and my actions, my words or choices have, have stained God's good reputation. Or made him look bad in the eyes of others, even uh, even though they might not have seen my choices or words or actions. The unseen world certainly did. The angelic world. And you know, to, to know that I made God look bad in front of them. You know, to me, the heaviest parts of any journey are always the guilty parts.
2: Hmm.
1: And usually, you know, you feel guilt because something's been done wrong that needs to be brought to the surface for repentance and cleansing. And uh, the, those have been the heaviest parts. When I have grappled with my sin, when uh, my sin weighs upon me, when sometimes I find myself, Jed, repenting of the way I'm repenting. Mm. Because <laughs> even in my repentance, I know I'm sounding self-serving.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I know I'm trying to win brownie points. I know it's all about performance. So um, maybe some people may think you're being, you know, you're being too hard on yourself, Johnny. Uh, Don't sweat the small stuff, but uh, it's in in that small stuff where uh, good faith, great faith is honed. And um, so those have been the heaviest parts, the the parts of what I've dealt with sin. Mm -hmm. And I just bet that our listeners would agree if they examine their own hearts. You know, it's it's never the physical stuff, the quadriplegia, the cancer for me or even my pain. It's always always the, the sin that needs to be dealt with.
0: And how about at the other end of the, the spectrum, the, the deepest joys? Where where have you found those? Oh, I love that
1: line by Eric Little. Uh, what did he say? When I run, I feel his pleasure. Mm. You know, but I can't remember. God what it made was me
0: exactly. fast, and I feel His pleasure when I run. There you go. And you got to love the it. accent too.
1: <laughs> well, um, I, I feel the deepest joys when I make it my ambition to be pleasing to the Lord Jesus. Um, you know, Second Corinthians chapter five, hmm. and, and when I actually feel. Like I had pleased him. If I, have, have I, is my life, am I exhibiting something here that might make him happy, brings him a smile? You know, times, I think my deepest times of joy are when I actually feel what Zephaniah talks about, God rejoicing over me with singing. Hmm. And, uh, sometimes, well, not sometimes, often I feel that when, um, I'm helping some other person with a disability. You know, I had a quad, quadriplegic friend call me the other day. And he's desperately anxious, very fearful because he can't limit his caregivers. He, he does, he lives pretty much alone and he needs uh, the help from the agency. These aren't his friends per se. These are hired employees coming in and out of his house, getting him up, sitting him in his wheelchair, getting him bath, doing his toileting routines. And he is extremely vulnerable as a quadriplegic mm-hmm. and he's scared to death. And uh, to just quote to my dear friend, Calming scriptures, comfort from God's word. Oh, Tommy, let's just park our wheelchairs on the rock of scripture. How about it? Boy, when I, when I get a chance to encourage other people with disabilities, uh, in in the word of God, that really, it just, I just feel God's pleasure and it's wonderful. Hmm. Those are my deepest joys.
0: I love that. And I love seeing that on your face, the, the, the smile, like, I wish everyone could see that, because even more than what I'm hearing you say, <laughs> that is beautiful. Yeah. Yes. But amen to that. There is no greater joy than being a small part of God's good, redemptive healing work on this earth. What What have you found that you never would have expected at the start?
1: Oh, boy. Um, oh, so many things, Jed. Uh, there's a quote by St. Sebastian. I'm not going to get this exactly perfect, but he said, when we get to heaven, we won't be surprised that we suffered so much. But we will be surprised that we suffered so little and that little so badly. And I, and I think that that's what I, I never expected. I used to think God, God was, God, God was going to owe me. Yeah, I, I used to think that I was justified in feeling sorry for myself, but I, I never expected that I would see my paralysis, my cancer, my chronic pain as the, as the open door to a far more sweeter, more intimate, delightful, tender, poignant relationship with the Lord Jesus, I never would have dreamed. I never did I expect it at the start. I mean I thought my disability was going to be after something I would it, I would begrudgingly bear this burden. Uh, I thought I was merely going to resign myself to my suffering. Okay, I will yield and submit, you know, with overtones of submerged rebellion and you know a pity party, oh woe is me. But I never expected never would i have dreamed that the very things that are most painful in my life become became the passport uh through which i would have such a joyful intimate um delightful friendship with the lord jesus i just never would have expected it mm. so that's why i mentioned that quote from sebastian because uh, to to suffer badly is to bear the burden begrudgingly or to submit with submerged feelings of rebellion or to resign yourself to your situation. Woe is me. You know, that's suffering badly, but suffering joyfully is is seeing that God has this it's a gift for it is a gift that you suffer on my behalf. You know, welcome that trial as a friend. Well this is why we can welcome it as a friend, because um it's it's the passport to knowing Jesus better.
0: That is that is profound and it is so hard to own, right? it, 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 it or it can be uh what would you say to people and I mean I'm thinking of folks in in the kefa realm who who grew up as orphans who who lost their parents at a young age and and suffered terribly because of that or spent years in the foster system bouncing from home to home um how would you share those words with them because it it is hard to hear them it's something that uh, that often God has to grow in your own heart and yet at the same time if someone doesn't share them with them with us and encourage us in that. Um, we may not hear them at all. So, how, how would you share those with someone who has suffered in that way?
1: Well, you mentioned, let's say, persons, orphans who have been bounced from home to home, and if they have a hard time grasping the essence of what I just shared about how your hardships are the passport to a sweeter joy with Jesus, if they have a hard time with that, I would suggest two things. Number one, find some people to pray for you. Like I said at the onset, Jed, it was the people who prayed for me in the beginning they were the ones that God used as the conduit to empower me. And, to, and they were the, they were the channels to which he poured his grace in my mm-hmm. life. So if there are some embittered people listening to this podcast and you can't quite see how your trials can be something that you welcome and, you know, rejoice in and suffering, and then I would suggest first get people praying. And secondly, mm-hmm. own your suffering. Own it. It's yours. I remember when I got cancer, I called it my cancer. I'm really, you know, I, need, I need some prayer for my cancer. And somebody chided me and said, don't call it your cancer. It's not yours. It's an evil thing. And I, I, I said, oh, no, no, no. It's my cancer. This is the battleground onto which God has called me. And I'm going to put on the armor of God. And I'm going to own this battle. And I'm going to be a valiant soldier of the Lord Jesus. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight this. It's my battle. And, um, so I would say own your limitation. Own your situation. Uh, don't run away from it, but run into it. Again, I'll rehearse for you every morning. I wake up and I pretty much say to the Lord Jesus, I, I cannot believe i got to do this again. I'm so tired of quadriplegia and chronic pain. I'm so weary. I, I can't do this. Jesus, I have no strength for the day, but you do. I have no smile for the day, but you do. And so, Jesus, let me borrow your smile. I cannot do quadriplegia, but I can do all things through you as you strengthen me. That is the secret to contentment. Find people to pray for you and own your situation. Own it. Be responsible for it. Wake up in the morning. Hate it if you must. You know, sure, I don't like my paralysis. Hate it if you will. But you know what? Go to God. Let let, Don't be ashamed of the affliction. Boast in it. Delight in it. Glory in it because God's power rests in you when you bring it to him. Just a little bit of advice from the aging quadriplegic who's been there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that is a good word. And it's a word that every one of us need to hear. I mean, some people certainly have have suffered more than others, no question. But but every one of us faces those crossroads, perhaps many times a day, in subtle ways often. Speaking of that, as we were talking about earlier, where this is the, the moment of COVID-19 and quarantines and shelter in place. And I think just about everyone in the world is feeling constrained and limited in ways they may never have before. And you have lived with the limitations of physical disabilities for the large majority of your life now. So what what perspective and counsel would you offer to people who see in constraint and loss, you know, only negative and only hurt? Well, I think...
1: As believers, um, we would all agree that God is shaking the nations. God is doing something global through this pandemic. It's almost of a an Old Testament nature in that regard. It's so, he's brought the entire world to its knees and the church. He's shaking the nations, but that means if he's to do a global revival, he's got to shake our hearts. And revival has to begin right here, right now in home with the choices you make. For instance, with these... um stay-at-home guidelines from the president, Uh, you know, I only live in a 2,000-square-foot house. It's not that big. And Ken and I, along with the helpers who come in to assist, we keep running into each other, you know, rolling over each other's toes, and it's become a bit irritating. Mm And, you know, the normal rhythms of life have been upset, and our routines are not normal. And so we've been a little short with one another and a little impatient. Well, that's where we begin. You know, just start, okay, God, I don't want to miss this. You're speaking to the nations, speak to me. How can I partner with you in this coronavirus opportunity? What do you want to tell me? How do you want to transform me? So Ken and I have made this covenant that we are going to give each other a lot more mercy, a lot more grace. We're going to extend a lot more forgiveness. You know, we're going to say, you know, that's okay. Don't worry. I'll give you grace here. Because I know this is a difficult situation, so let's just move forward. I mean, just being more grace-filled mm. to one another is, is is something. Um, Also, we are memorizing Scripture together. Uh, Ken and I have decided that that's, that's a new routine we can establish during this time of upheaval. Um, let's start memorizing Scripture together. Again, we used to do it years ago, but we have reignited that habit now. And we're memorizing Psalm 51 and also memorizing hymns. Uh, Justin Taylor on his uh, blog has put up weekly, daily hymns, uh, timeless hymns of the faith that contain great doctrine. And uh, there's one hymn, second stanza, Be Still My Soul. Be still my soul, thy God doth undertake to guide the future as he has the past. Thy hope thy confidence let nothing shake. All now mysterious shall be plain at last. Be still my soul, the wind and waves still know the one who ruled them when he walked below. You know, just, just, just taking this offer, make the most of the opportunity, Ephesians says in the day of evil. Well, this is an evil day. So how can we make the most of the opportunity? Well, we can extend grace, be merciful, be more forgiving, memorize hymns, memorize scripture. Um, I'm keeping a list of names and phone numbers of people with disabilities by my iPhone and every once in a while I'm giving them a call checking up with them. How you doing? I've been doing video texts, you know, making a quick little 30-second video and texting it to uh, to people I know that I don't normally connect with, but just want to let them know I'm thinking of you, cheering you on. There are all kinds of ways that we can prepare our hearts for our own personal revival, you know, while God is uh, doing a revival around the world.
0: Mm, that's good. And uh, what a—what a—, what a... Wonderful hope that in the midst of this upheaval, which is indeed so hard for so many, but that, that crisis, it does make our hearts more pliable. And there is potential for things that have been long standing habits and assumptions and ways we've just lived, gone about our lives on a, on a hamster wheel. There's potential for all of us to change and that the future won't be going back to the old normal, but it will be something yep. better than that. There'll be no, nor-
1: no old normal. It's It's gone. The world is going to be a different place. We're all going to have the paradigm of contagious viruses. It's always going to be factoring into the equation for mm-hmm. our new rhythms of life. And so let's prepare ourselves for whatever this new normal might look like in the future.
0: So, Johnny, the, the theme of the CAFO 2020 summit, which has been moved from May to September, is it's small matters, little choices can remake a life. And... We're going to be exploring, you know, how it's it's just often the 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 small and very easy to overlook choices that actually most shape our lives and our character and the people we're becoming, the legacy we'll leave behind. So I, I wanted to ask you, what what do you feel are some of those small choices, little things that over the years you've come to realize made a significant difference over time?
1: Be thankful. Be grateful. That's a small thing, mm. but when I was uh, when I was first injured and, and very very depressed, I would wrench my head back and forth on my pillow at night, hoping hoping to break my neck up at some higher level to end my misery. I was so depressed, mm. and a friend came into the hospital with his Bible, a good friend whom I trusted, and he shared with me First Thessalonians chapter five verse eighteen: In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And I said, but I'm not thankful. I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I don't feel thankful. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that. I, I can't. I won't. I'm, I don't want to be a hypocrite. And he said, well, now wait a minute. Read the verse again. It doesn't say in everything, feel thankful. It says in everything, give thanks. There's a big difference between feeling thankful and giving thanks, a big difference between trusting god and having trustful feelings your feelings have nothing to do with this here we're talking about your faith do you have a mustard seed size enough faith to at least give thanks i said no you're talking about a life of total paralysis it's just too big i cannot do that and he wisely said then start small start giving thanks for things for which you can give thanks that uh your hospital bed is in the corner of the room by the window that uh, you didn't break your neck up higher and have to be on a ventilator. That uh, at least you're going down to physical therapy. Um, that your parents, your family are still supportive. That um, they're serving breakfast on your side of the hospital hallway first. At least your breakfast is warm. I mean, just start, start small.
2: Mm.
1: I could do that. And so I did start small. And small matters, little choices totally remade my life because um as i started giving thanks in those small things not feeling an ounce of emotion um god did a miracle months later he gave me the emotion of thankfulness and oh my goodness i was shocked i was so surprised john piper i think it was once said that um when you when you when you give thanks in this manner you when you mouth the, the words of gratitude you stir up in your heart the emotion of gratitude. Hmm. And um, it's not as though you are faking it. No, you're just merely trying to get yourself under the shower of God's mercy. You're trying to position yourself in the best way possible so as to be the recipient of of his enabling grace to do more. And I thought that was such wise advice, but my uh, those Bits of advice would be be thankful, be grateful. just just do it mm. and uh, it'll change your life.
0: My, my uh, one of my daughters put together a little paper the other day and she she actually found a study that showed that um, they had people write down once a week just a list of things they were grateful for. and mm. compared to the control group by the end of just I think it was seven weeks might have been 10 weeks uh, you know these people were were measurably happier. But not only that, they had gone to the hospital fewer times. And, uh, you know it's it's so fascinating when when science and empirical research just kind of confirms there's these embedded nuggets of beautiful, profound, eternal wisdom in scripture, and every now and then science can just measure little little bits of at least one facet of the fruit of those things.
1: Oh my goodness, isn't that wonderful? I did not know that. That's a scientific evidence for the for the transforming power of gratitude. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yes. Well Johnny I you know as I alluded to earlier I remember 35 plus years ago hearing your story and and I was probably 7 years old and and being profoundly um just impacted even at that tender age um the being amazed that at, at, that you were choosing to lean towards Christ and to lean towards joy in the midst of all that you had experienced. I think it made me feel scared. There, were, there was fear of what would paralysis mean? How would, What would I do if I was paralyzed? But, but I think there, there, was, there was much more than that. There was this marvel that God had enabled you to respond with gratitude and then service through, through all of that. But I will tell tell you Johnny I think today these decades later I'm more amazed than I was then that you have continued in that path that that faithfulness has persevered in you and and I'm wondering do you feel like there have been certain habits that you have kept rhythms that have been a part of your life over those years that God has used in particular ways to feed your soul and and sustain your heart over that journey
1: Well of course I would answer what every Christian should answer, you know, the, you, the habits should be the spiritual disciplines of, of grace, the means of grace, the mean, the basic means of grace, prayer, witnessing, worship, reading the word, just, just four basic means of grace. Every Christian needs to be doing those means of grace. And so those are the, those are the, default habits that every christian should uh you know lean on because those are the means those are the uh god-ordained means of infusing enablement and and the want to in our lives uh, when we pray when we read the word when we uh witness i think there's one more fellowship and worship so it's actually five i think means of grace i can't remember from my catechism but those are the disciplines all Christians should be involved in. But um, I think another uh, another one for me, again, Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, do everything without grumbling. You know, the Bible really thinks we can do that. The, the Bible really thinks that we can do everything. He uses that word everything, Philippians, without grumbling. And uh, boy, that's... Um, you know, we live in a culture of entitlement and and to be able to go through life without complaining without grumbling that's quite something but I, I've tried to make that a practice it kind of goes hands in it's, it's it's like the flip side of the coin that I just talked about gratitude you know practice gratitude and no grumbling you know get those two down and you'll experience many of those Zephaniah moments of God singing over you
0: you know it strikes me that when you talk about those foundational elements Uh, A person who's been a Christian a while might feel like, yeah, yeah, I've heard that before. And if you were a young seminary student, you know, kind of repeating something you had heard from someone else, uh, it might might feel a little thin. But when it is coming from someone who's drawn a life from those over decades and is living as you have, it causes, I, I hope it causes people to say, hey, maybe there is something really, really important in those fundamental foundational things.
1: Oh, yes, and you mentioned seminary students, and I'm not going to get this entire scripture right, but Jude, um, I think it's the 14th, I'm not sure, 14th verse. um, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all the ungodly among them of all their, the ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against them you know god God has come to do judgment against them and okay we read that we think oh he's talking about pedophiles he's talking about murderers he's talking about drug pushers no the next verse says these that is the ones to whom god is saying ungodly and these are grumblers and complainers read it it's amazing I don't have it in front of me, but mm, Jude, mm. I think starting with the 14th, maybe to the 16th verse, Behold, the Lord is coming with 10,000s to execute judgment and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly ways. And who are these people? The whiners. <laughs> it's not, all, not, not all those, it's the whiners, exactly. <laughs> yes, that's who it yeah, is. So, that yeah, that, that is, that's the best word for it, Chad. It's sobering. It is you get the picture of the Lord coming with a multitude of his saints and angels to execute judgment on the earth to console the ungodly. And it's whiners that he's 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 labeled out. Not murderers and drug pushers and adulterers and pedophiles, but <laughs> just incredible. This is, you know so, Oh oh that God would just renew and revive his church with these simple truths, just mm, mm. really basic things, huh?
0: Mm, amen. And you, um, I, I read somewhere else—I don't remember where it was—that you had actually just encouraged people toward the practice of um, praying Scripture, and that that was one uh, just habit that you have kept over over the years. Tell tell us just a little bit about what you do when you do that.
1: I don't want to shake a wagging, scolding finger at people's prayer meetings and Wednesday night prayer meetings, but I tell you, when you get the list of things to pray about, so and so needs a job, so and so has cancer, so-and-so has to be in the hospital, you know, and, and immediately our knee-jerk reaction is to, of course, pray that that person will get a job. Of course, yes. Pray that the cancer will be healed. Of course, yes. Pray that the illness will be, um, you know, treated successfully. I mean, these are all good things to pray, but I think richer and far better is to pray that, okay, if if Mr. Brown has lost his job, Father God, I pray that you will teach him the truth of Proverbs, that it is better to fellowship in lean times than to have um, have um, what is it? I can't remember the word in Proverbs, um, to um, squander uh the times when you eat from the fatted calf. I, I can't remember the exact wording here, but you know, in other words, it's better to pray um be joyful in hope may that person be patient in affliction oh god help them to remain faithful in prayer while he's in the hospital you know father god if that person has uh, has um cancer I, I pray that you'll open the eyes of his heart to help him know the the, the hope to which he has been called you know the the, the, the glorious riches which are his and the inheritance of the saints. And Father, while he's in that hospital bed struggling or getting chemo, may he know the incomparably great power to say no to complaining and yes to faith. I mean, things like that hmm. are, are just deeper, more scriptural ways to pray for people who have lost their jobs, lost their homes, gotten divorced unexpectedly, um, fallen ill with some disease or contracted this virus, there are more profoundly scriptural ways to pray for people that uh, involve just quoting scripture over them. I mean, you know you're praying God's will in their life when you do that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And his primary concern is always the heart, right? It's certainly he is concerned about physical things and jobs and, and disease. He healed those things when he walked the earth, but his Deepest concern was always for the health of the heart—a heart that becomes joyful in affliction and patient in hope.
1: In the book of Jeremiah, um, God says that uh, I will do good to Israel with all my heart and soul. And elsewhere in Psalm eighty-four, no good thing will I withhold from them who walk uprightly. And then, in I think it's Matthew, he talks about the good gifts. He gives his children what father would give a child—a stone when he asks for bread, or a snake if he asks for fish. You know. So, so what is God's idea of good here? What what, what is He doing? Using a different dictionary? No, I just think God's idea of good goes a lot deeper. You know, God's idea of good may not be that we get the job or get healed of cancer or get out of the hospital quickly. Um, God's idea of good is that we might have stronger faith. A greater degree of courage, a more buoyant hope of heaven, a livelier life of prayer, a more ardent devotion for his word. I mean, those those are always God's ideas of good. They just go a lot, go a lot, lot deeper than just the, the surface stuff that you mentioned.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. And that's not just pious, right? That is, I mean, we ourselves know we could have all the things in the world and be miserable. Or we could have any situation and yet have joy and be calm and tranquil inside and and smiling and laughing and or at least taking joy even in the hardest of things like Paul and Silas in prison singing right what and what could be a better good than that
1: right there are more there are more there are more important things in life than walking and having use of your hands says the quadriplegic you know <laughs> I I can tell you there are more important things in life than than having use of your hands and, and legs
0: wow. Well, I couldn't say that, but coming from you, that is that is a powerful word. That is a powerful but, word. But it's true, isn't it? Um, yes. I mean, well, if it's, it's, it's true for true. me,
1: anyone Christian is true for everybody else. Yes.
0: Well, Johnny, we're, we're going to need to wrap up here in a moment, but let me let me end with this. If, if you could travel back in time and speak with young Johnny, not, not right after your accident, but a bit later after you'd begun your ministry, what advice would you give her?
1: I would tell her to just love Jesus more. And prove that love by pursuing holiness. Now, I know that young Johnny would probably shrug her shoulders and say, come on, what do you know? You're pushing 70. I'm doing fine with the Lord. Really, I am. But if I could, I would shake the shoulders of that headstrong young girl and tell her the same. Because what does she know about fully grasping the sobering weight of Christian life? What does she know about the deceitfulness of sin? That was me back then, and um, oh, that I had been more actively engaged in my own sanctification! I wish I had partnered more with the Holy Spirit to not only sniff out sin but to to say no to it. Sometimes, Jed, I I don't often talk about this because I this is one that I don't think people really under most people wouldn't get this. They, how could God do this? I, my life as a teenager, I had named Christ but I was messing up bedtime. I was just big time. I was doing one thing on a Friday night with my boyfriend and then getting up on Sunday morning and confessing it all and knowing full well that by Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I'd be looking forward to being with my boyfriend on Friday night and do it all over again. I mean, and I, yet I knew Christ. And I said, right before my high school graduation, I was such in such conflict. I was almost ready to recant the Christian faith because I just could not bear the idea of going off to college in that fall, knowing that I would just do more of the same. And I didn't want to shame God because, again, I I named it Jesus as my Savior. And, 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 And so I said, somewhere around April of 1967, I said, I'm screwing this up, Jesus. I'm just not living the Christian life as I should. But you know what? I've gotten myself so deep into sin, I have no power to get out of it now. I know you're trying to give me grace, but man, I am so enslaved to my desires. And I have let them rule over me, and now I can't break free. And your Holy Spirit word of conviction is just becoming more faint and faint. And I I just don't have the – I can't snap my fingers and have you release me because I've just made it such a ritual, such a habit of sinning. Hmm. And knowing that I'm sinning. So, God, you do something in my life to turn it around because I can't I can't do this I don't want to shame you any further I'm going to go off to college and really mess up I just know it morally I'll be a mess and so I asked God to do something in my life to turn it around and then I broke my neck about three months later and I thought back on that prayer that I prayed in the early spring as a senior in high school and wondered man God why'd you take me so seriously I mean is this your answer to that prayer but I'm convinced it was in Hebrews chapter 12 moment. The Lord loves those whom he disciplines. And I think that my diving accident wasn't punishment for my wrongdoing
2: mm-hmm.
1: and my stubborn, uh, sinful behavior. But it was uh, reproof and correction. It was discipline, You're just a, just like Hebrews 12 talks about. Now I've told, I've told a few people that and they go, Oh no, God wouldn't have dealt that seriously. He doesn't do those things. Well, God does all sorts of things he doesn't necessarily approve of. He took no delight in my spinal cord injury, but he sure allowed it. <laughs> he sure ordained it. He took no delight in the death of his own son, Jesus, by murder, torture, treason, injustice. I mean, all those awful things that led up to the crucifixion. He took no delight in it, but he allowed it. And I'm not saying that Jesus cross was, uh, was disciplined, but all I'm doing is using it as an example of how God allows all sorts of things he doesn't necessarily take delight in. And I look back and, you know, I remember when I had a trip to Israel in 1998, I had a chance to visit the pool of Bethesda and the place was empty. It was a dry, dusty day. All the tour buses were down at the Red Sea. Nobody was there. My husband and I had the place to ourselves and I leaned on the guardrail of those Ruins looking out to the pool of Bethesda and I wept. I just wept because I had imagined myself there so many times when I was first injured, depressed. John chapter five. Oh Jesus, why don't you heal me by this pool? Like you healed the man paralyzed for 38 years. And I had a chance there at the pool of Bethesda in 1998 to say thank you, Jesus. You were so, so wise in disciplining me so harshly. Because leaving me paralyzed has meant, well, it, it's meant like um, Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. Maybe others intended it for evil, but God intended it for good, for the saving of many lives. And look at the thousands and thousands and thousands of people with disabilities who have come to Christ. You know, as a result of the ministry of Johnny and Friends, and my testimony in this wheelchair. and So sometimes a little bit of harsh discipline can yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness no trial seems pleasant at the time but oh my goodness what a what a harvest it can yield
0: Johnny that's almost a truth beyond what a human mind a finite mind can can grasp and can say amen to just the fearsomeness of it in some ways the scariness of it scariness of it but i would say looking at your face here and hearing your voice and knowing the fruitfulness of the, the past 50 years, I would say I want that more than anything else, to know joy, to know true peace, to be steadily formed into the likeness of Jesus, never perfectly the side of heaven, but but to, to feel ourselves becoming more like him, more loving, more gentle, more patient, and then to see God's fruit growing in and through our lives as I and so many others see so clearly in your life, that is a future much to be desired, even if the cost is very heavy.
1: But, you know, a lot of fear can be uh, dissipated if we would just quit trifling with sin. Just say no to ungodliness and yes to God. We might avoid a lot, a lot more unpleasant moments in our life if we would just trust and obey and just be happy in Jesus.
0: Well, Johnny, thank you.
1: You too, Jed. This has been a, a rich, blessed time. Very grateful.
0: I have been reflecting on the amazing things that Johnny shared with us, and some of them are so very beautiful, and others feel almost too much to bear, especially when we contemplate just the depth of human suffering, tragic accidents and cancer and paralysis and so many other things, and to contemplate that a loving God could allow his children to experience those things. It is almost too much to bear and yet when I look at Johnny's life when I see the light in her eyes when I hear the joy in her voice her sense of delight in the good fruit that God has worked in her own heart and character and in the lives of so many others through here her despite 50 plus years of of what just about anyone would consider terrible constraint it is hard to conclude anything but that she is correct. That her understanding of these things is spot on. That first of all, the great purpose of life is not simply to be comfortable or or live an easy existence, but to steadily grow in the love and grace and peace and character of Jesus Christ. And that while God desires all forms of good for His children, including healing and life and and delightful things, that His great purpose in our lives, is to grow in us that character. And finally, that as Johnny expressed very often, it is not the big life choices that most enable us to participate with God in that work, but it's small, daily decisions that might be very easy to overlook. Things like Johnny mentioned, like each morning choosing to t- spend time with our Heavenly Father in Scripture, choosing to memorize Scripture, let it soaking soak in our minds throughout the day and, perhaps most significantly, to choose to express gratitude even when it feels like a difficult choice. So that's something that I'd love to encourage each one of you towards as well. Don't try to take all these things on at once, but identify one small, oft-repeated choice that you can make that can participate with God in His work of slowly reforming your character. You know, I've been thinking about this a lot for myself, and one thing I yearn to grow in is to become a more thankful person, to have a more grateful heart. So I've begun each morning spending a little time in Scripture, which I normally have done, but uh, also in my journal, writing out just a very brief, specific prayer, asking for God to grow in me a more thankful heart, and then writing out 10 specific things that I am particularly thankful for. And then throughout the day, just as it comes to mind again that this is something I want to grow in, choosing to express gratitude to God for specific things around me and in my life. And I'm just four days in, so uh, I will update you on the experiment later, but uh, thus far, it, it already seems like something is sinking deeper into my heart. Little by little, my thought patterns are being reformed. And of course, this is what neuroscience tells us Happens in the brain anytime we repeatedly choose something. Every single human choice slowly, steadily reshapes the pathways of our brain. And just as scripture so clearly affirms, those little choices that at first come as difficult decisions, little by little become habits. And over time, habits form our character. And over time, character springs up in all manner of fruit, whether for good or for ill but of course, in Johnny's case, for such beautiful good, both in her own life and character and in the good fruit that we see in so many other lives over five plus decades of faithful service. Well, that is my prayer for myself and it is my prayer for you as well. So if you decide to take on a little challenge like that, I would uh, invite you to email us at CAFO at info at CAFO.org and let us know something you're trying. I would I would love to hear about that and how you feel it's going. And uh, perhaps even share about that on future editions of the podcast. But for now, God bless you. And may you grow day by day amidst those small daily choices to know and love and increasingly reflect the character of Jesus Christ.
1: You've been listening to Justice and the Inner Life with Jed Medefit, a production of the Christian Alliance for Orphans. To learn more about the Alliance, visit us online at capo.org.